Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edward. Hello. And special guest today is Daniel Rowe. That's a pleasure to be here. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Would you mind introducing yourself for those who aren't aware of who you are? Sure. I'm a developer. I'm based in, in England, in the northeast of England, in a very old city, a couple of thousand years old. I'm CTO of a startup company working on providing support for working parents. So we've been absolutely stretched beyond, beyond ourselves this year with, uh, I guess, the needs that we all are, are experiencing. And I've uh, fairly recently started working, helping out maintaining Nuxt, which is a progressive view framework. Nice. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Do you mind sharing the name of the company that you're working for? Uh, sure. It's called Parent Scheme. Yeah, I saw that on your, uh, I think I saw it on your Twitter bio that you were working there and it seemed interesting to me since I am a working parent and support sounds nice. I'm very interested in that, but we, we can talk about that later. I absolutely love it. If there's, there's a, uh inside information in terms of what you know, kind of support you'd find helpful. That would be really, really key. I mean, I'm, I'm a new dad. I have a, an eight-month-old son, and uh, I'm learning firsthand a lot of the things that uh, we've been, been trying, the kind of support we've been trying to provide all along. I've been uh, experiencing and appreciating for the first time myself over the last few months. Nice. Always good when you get to benefit from that kind of experience to apply to your work and vice versa in your case. Well, exactly. I, I like to think it's uh, it's it's uh, dog food, dog fooding the product, basically. Yeah. Well, cool. So you said you started working on Nuxt, and what are you what are you working on in the Nuxt ecosystem specifically? I'm interested in a couple of. Well, I'm interested in in lots of different different areas. I think it's one of the, the fun things about being in in tech. There is just so much interesting work happening, and of course, a lot of that I, I look on in awe. And, uh, and enjoy seeing other people's ingenious solutions. But particular areas of interest to me are uh, serverless uh, functions. So uh, figuring out how to produce an application that scales well and, and instantaneously that runs quickly and uh, make, makes good use of, of uh, root splitting and, and things like that, as, as well as the composition API. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the way it, it, it works and I maintain the Nuxt integration for the, the View uh, 2 composition API. Nuxt 3 will, will come out with, with built-in support uh, for, for the composition API in View 3. But, but right now, it's possible to use in View 2 using Nuxt composition API. Awesome. On the note of the composition API, since this is our, our primary topic, would you mind, from your perspective, explaining what the composition API is and maybe the problem that it solves. So we've talked about it a bit on the show, but we haven't really addressed exactly what it is and how it solves things, I think. So the, the Composition API is, I, I guess probably a lot of people will have been following the proposals and the, um, the, uh, the proposals review three. So how things are going to be, what's, what's going to be different, what are the new options, the, the new ways of, of defining components in, in the next release of view. And 
I think there have been some problems that that Evan and others have been been wrestling with for a while now in terms of thinking through where people bump up against barriers and where it becomes difficult to use the the current API, the current way of defining components and interacting with Vue. And a lot of that has had to do with what is now given birth to this the composition API. Uh, the composition API is additive, so it's 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 a an additional way of, of interacting with Vue. And it, it makes heavy use of context. So, and it, it uses context to get away from tying everything to the component instance. The, the nuts and bolts are, instead of, instead of just defining your component in the, the normal way, what, what's now called the options API uh, way of, of having your, your methods being in, uh, in a, a, an object a methods object and your your computed properties being in a computed object and so on. Instead, you you can have those things as well, but you get an extra function called a setup function, and you can do whatever you like in that function. It's called early on in the component lifecycle, and when whatever's returned from that function gets effectively attached to the component instance and can be directly referenced in in the template. But that means that where there's some logic that doesn't really need to be on the component instance itself, for example. You simply don't need to to make it available to the template, and and so you can benefit from from savings there as well. What a lot of people have been talking about in terms of the benefits of this way of doing things is that uh, you don't need to organize your, your code, your features, according to the type of thing they are. So you don't have to split a feature into its one method move that over to the methods section. It's one computed property which gets moved over to the computed object and so on. And, and do that for all of your, your different features. You'd end up with a sort of, I remember the days of, uh, of disk defragmentation. And basically, you end up with, with uh, splitting everything in, in perhaps not a very easy to reason about way across your, your options object. The composition API means you don't have to do that. So you can organize your, your different features by by feature, by topic, in, a, in whatever way you, you, you want to, to do it. Because the significant thing that happens is that simply that they're returned from that setup function, not, not where in the component definition they, they happen to live. So within the setup function that you're talking about, do all the standard view types of capabilities exist in terms of methods, watchers, computer properties, all those, have they changed at all or have they changed as well? So in your traditional way of... So yes, of course. Yes, they do. And, and the way Vue 3 does it and the way the Composition API does it is that you have these reactivity methods. So if you want to declare that something is going to be reactive, you can, you can use something called a ref or, or reactive. They're methods that will create a reactive object or reactive value that then does some very clever work behind the scenes to track dependencies and update those dependencies if the value changes in the future. You can register computed properties, again, with a, a method called computed. And, uh, and again, if, if that computed, if you're, you're, the function you pass to the computed property, the computed method, uh, if, it, if it detects something one of its dependencies changing, it will effectively recalculate and and give you that updated value. So it's it's there's a lot going going on behind the scenes, but 
the the way it works, it tends to be is is very familiar to anyone who's been using a view two all the way along. But instead of 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 um, instead of declaring those those different properties and relationships in an object that is only really accessible from the component, you can do those in freeform JavaScript code that can live anywhere in your code base. So it only it decouples reactivity from the component instance. You're not talking about this dot in order to access anything that you're talking about. It, it, it just lives as a, as a standalone JavaScript object. So it almost sounds like you're treating it like a mix-in to a certain extent within so a component? Mix-ins would be a way that you would you perhaps do this if you were have a feature set in view two. So if you wanted to, to, to build a feature set that uses touch interaction or something like that. You, you want to have a range of components that can respond to, to um, swipes uh, on the screen. And you might create a mix-in in view two with, with uh, pro- properties, some computer properties, some methods perhaps, you know, on, on swipe start, on swipe stop, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, and then this mixing could be applied to a number of different components. So, you know, that, that would be one way you, you, you would do, you do a feature-related categorization of, of methods and computer properties in, in view two. There were some problems with this, of course. So it, there, were, there was a possibility of collisions. So you wouldn't necessarily know if there was something called your data property or your, your computer property on the component you were, that mixing would be used uh, in. And then there was also a lack of, of transparency in terms of if you had several mixins on a component, what were the property names? And, you know, if, if you were doing a this dot, if you wanted to refer to that, to the method that it was adding to your component instance, what exactly was it? And so there, there were lots of issues, issues along those lines. And then obviously a, a pain point is that wasn't very friendly to um, IDE auto-completion or, or developer um, experience. So th- there were some problems with the, the mix-in method. But in terms of the idea of putting all of the related functions, the related uh, um, methods, data, data properties, and so on in one place, I guess you can do something very similar with a composition API in terms of of having a a pack of functionality that's easy to reason about that lives in one file. So then that means also that you're within this setup function, I mean, everything, your data is all within there and, and reactive. As, as well as your computer properties and watchers and methods and all that other stuff too, correct? Exactly. So you can, so j- j- just to, to give you a bit of a pseudocode example. So um, say I, I want to say, I say, well, what does everybody, everybody build a to-do app, I guess. So say you want to have a list of to-dos. So you're going to say const to-dos uh, is, is a, a ref of, a, of an empty array. And then maybe you want to be able to add to that. So you're going to, to create a method, which could just be a normal method. The function add to do or declare as a const I love an inline error function that's just going to to push something to that that array to do dot value dot push I'm gonna stick a new to do on that and then maybe you want to display the, the the number of them and so you might declare a computed property num to dos it equals computed and then you pass in a function that returns the the length of that to do array so it, it looks very much like vanilla JavaScript, right? Because it is. And actually it can be used without without a web 
front end. It doesn't have to, to be used in the context of a web app. It can be used in a Mandline app or it can be used in a, there's been talk of, of uh, a WebGL rendering engine for, for Vue 3 and so on. But yes, you just declaratively write that you know this is how everything is related to every other thing that we're talking about, and you don't and you expose only the bits that you want to. So if if you actually have if your feature only has an API where somebody calls a, a single method and they can read back some kind of data value and everything else is internal, well then you only expose those two things as your as the sort of surface area of of your feature. So in a, in, a, in a setup function, you can either declare everything there or you can split features out and then just access them by calling some kind of, of um, often it's a use, you know, use touch interaction. For example, you, you'd call that function and you get back some, some objects that you can use in the setup function uh, and which you can return to your, your view component. So it's, it's, it's really satisfying to use as a, as a developer. Okay, if I have a... I have a component. Let's say I have multiple of these setup functions because they're they're multiple features that I want to use within a component. First of all, is that the legit use case that I'm going to have multiple setup functions, multiple features within one single file component? You'll just have the one setup function, but you can call any number of different features within it. So you know, okay. So the setup function is there's one for the whole component, but then I have different features declared as separate items within this, that same component, right? Exactly. Okay. So then how do I, is there like a, is there, how do I access those different features separately? Do you, does it have to do with how you name your feature and there's like a get method or you have to create your get methods or how are you accessing the different pieces of functionality within the separate features within your template or wherever you need to access it? So it's, it's the great thing about it is it's, it's plain JavaScript. So everything that you can do with JavaScript, you can, you can do with these which means you can destructure them, you can rename them, you can expose them to the template. You, you expose them to the template, you see, just in returning them for, as, as an op, returning them from the setup function. So the setup function returns an object uh, okay. of different properties, and each of those properties is, is accessible to the, the template. So if it returns to-dos and set to-do, then those two, um, that array and that, that method would be available to the template. You could get get them from a feature set and it might call them that and you might decide to expose them to the template with a different name, which which you do just do with a you know JavaScript. So my new feature to do's colon and then pass to do's and and uh, it's uh, pretty straightforward. Okay. So I think the easy comparison is to React hooks, and I think that's where the uh, you're, you're saying use to do as an example. That use word comes from React hooks. You know, use state, use effect. Is that a fair comparison from your opinion? So in terms of the, the the terminology, I think that is yes. I think people people are using the same kind of terminology to refer to bundles of features. I guess that's that's because it's difficult to think about how you add in a bunch of features, as in what's that word? And people have gone back and forth. So people talk about them as hooks. People talk about them as composables. People often think about you a use blank as as some kind of function that opens up or adds in functionality. So you would call your use touch interaction, and it would, it would return you some useful functions and 
objects and, and data properties, and it would give you a bundle of, of functionality. And so, yes, the terminology absolutely comes from React, or, or at least was, was definitely used in React before it started being used in Vue. But under the hood, it works in a really very different way. So it's, but, but yes, I, I guess it would be familiar to someone who is using React, but it, 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 yes, it doesn't work in the same way um, underneath. Okay. I, I have some experience using React and Hooks. About the time that React Hooks were, were decided to be stable, I was working on a React application at work. So I decided to use React Hooks altogether instead of using the class components or the, and so I just went with functional components and hooks. And it was, it was a fine experience. But the React documentation, for example, still primarily points at class components, I believe, with a note saying, if you want to use hooks, here's how to do it. While the community has moved in the other direction, so far as I can tell, and everything is talking about hooks. That's really interesting, because I mean, that was my understanding as well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm feeling like Vue can learn from, from what happened with React, where they released this new feature. And in some ways, I felt like the kind of the news coming from the Vue core team was the composition API is going to be the way to write Vue components going forward at first. And then they made sure everyone understood, no, the options API is still there. It's not going away. It's still supported in Vue 3. There's just this other way of writing components if you need to. So do you feel like developers are going to want to shift all the way over to Composition API and bundling their, their functionality into these, these hooks or whatever we're going to end up calling them? Or are they going to typically stick with the Options API and just use Composition when it makes sense? The, so I guess the, the question, that, that's, that's, that, that's a question I'm asking myself. So um, I'm, I'm using the Composition API in a number of, of different projects. And I, so speaking for myself, I think the, you don't notice any difference in terms of how you define a component until you decide to add that setup function or not. So if you're just defining a component that takes props and has a template, for example, there's no difference. It's, it's only when you, you ask yourself, am I going to need to do something more than, would make, than I can easily reason about by just adding a method here and a data property there? It's so simple to, to do it that way, though, that I think that most developers will have at least one component in their, their project where they, they decide to use a setup function and, and return something to the component instance that way. I think one of the reasons why they might, why someone might decide to do that is because of the, the excellent uh, type support that that gives you. Because, uh, you know, you're just, you're just re relating to JavaScript objects that you create. So you're, you're not trying to run things off of uh, this. I don't, I don't know about you, but there, there are always some gotchas when, when relating to the, to the view instance via the options API, you know, when you're in computed property and, and you're typing this, but for some reason you can't get access to, to a method that you need or, or to a, a data property. And, and it, it just, there's always a feeling of slight this is just a little bit clunky. It's just not working for me. And, and the idea that, you, that if you use this, this different approach, you get uh, perfect IDE completion and, and everything just, just works and you get compiler warnings. And you know, that, that's, a, that's a powerful draw, I think. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if people start using it. And you know, not in every component, 
but um, but but definitely where there's there's some need, and that need won't necessarily be that there's a feature pack. I mean, I, I like to think of it in terms of that because I, I guess I don't immediately abstract something into a feature. I try and use it, say twice, and then the third time I think, okay, I'm using this enough that I, I really should standardize it and make make some kind of API and then test it as a separate feature that I can then drop into anywhere in my project or in, in several projects. But, but you see, even if you're not doing that, even if you don't have a, an extractable feature set, you might still want to do something like you might want there to be, you might want to deal with a lot of data for your component, but you don't want that data to be reactive because there's you know, a slight performance overhead in, in tracking a massive array of lots of objects. And so instead of, the, the, you know, there's a hack you can do in view two where, where you just sort of assign it to the component in, in the created hook rather than using data. But it's much more natural in the, in the setup function just to say, you know, oh, I'm going to return this array of, of objects, but I, I'm, I'm not calling any kind of reactivity method on it. So it's not going to be reactive. You know, that feels really natural. It feels like it's readable. Someone can understand what's, what's happening there. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I hadn't thought of returning something that wasn't either reactive or ref or compute you, you know using one of the the composition api hooks so that makes that makes a lot of sense being able to just pass that straight to the template if that's what you need or even just using it inside of the the setup method if you've got other methods to operate on top of it right well ex- exactly no need to inflate your your component with with lots of different pieces that are only used in one other method for example you can just expose that data to the method and then the component ends up being this quite tight object that I, I feel is, is easier to test and, and e- easier to make sure that it's doing what it, it needs to do because you can look very clearly, okay, here are my explicit, if, if you think about it, you have a couple of APIs. So there's the, the interface between your, your template and your code and, and you can be explicit about that because you have your props and then you have what you return from setup. So that, they're just enumerated there for you in your, in your component. And you can cut that down as, as far, far down as you like. And obviously, the, the more you cut it down, the, uh, the clearer that is. And then you, you can have a whole range of, of other methods and, and data properties and reactive objects and so on that, that enable that functionality to happen. But you, know, you don't run the risk of some method being used in your template that you, you don't really want, want to be. We, we've talked a little bit about props. How do props work with the composition API? Because currently you have to use the options API to define what your props are and if you want to add types or whether things are required. But if you're referencing things in the setup function, I don't think the setup function takes any arguments like props or anything. So how do you access props inside of that? So the setup function do- does take props as, a, as its first argument. Oh, it does. Okay. Which, but you, you, you might never need to receive it. Um, I mean, I, I think probably most of the examples of the setup, setup functionality you see just they don't take anything because they, they don't need to access the props. But if, but if you do, then, uh, then you have props as, as your, your first argument. And then you have a, a second argument, which is, which is effectively con- context, which is a little bit different between the view to composition API plugin and view three. But but yeah, so you get you get access to some of those to some of the things that you would expect. So f- for example, view three exports 
uh, if I recall correctly, view three exports next tick as a standalone method. So you just import that from view, and then you can use that anywhere you like in your app. But in, in the view two situation, you actually have to get that from the context and, uh, and, and you use it. So, so, so there, are, there are a few differences there. But props are pretty easy to use. You, you, just, you just take them in. So if you wanted to create a computed property based on a prop, you do that in, in pretty much the same way you, you define any other computed property. So you pass in a function that returns props dot value or props dot title or, or whatever the prop happens to be called. Okay. As far as defining your props, do you still have to do that with the options API? Or is there a way to define it right there in the setup method? Like I'm, I'm comparing to React again. With React, when you define your props using like TypeScript, you can say, I expect properties A, B, and C of type whatever, you know, number, string, some custom type. And then React DevTools will then start complaining at you if you implement a component that doesn't include those props. Is there a way to do something like that with Vue3 at the moment? So there's some, I mean, watch this space because there's some really interesting things coming out, including several different ways of, uh, several different options for single file components. So there's a, a setup block, for example, which, which Evan was tweeting about recently, where, where you get a, something which doesn't, it is, isn't your normal script script block where you export an object which has a setup function. And this block would just be the setup function effectively, and it would return what goes into the component. So, so there's, there's some innovations in terms of that. As far as defining props, though, I'm pretty sure that it's just the way that, that you define them at the moment. So, and, and, and I guess this is maybe where it's, it's, it's surprisingly seamless um, between the options API and the composition API that you, you wouldn't really experience any difference in terms of how you define props. And converting a component from options API to composition API is as simple as adding a setup function. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't mean you have to change anything else about that, about that component. In terms of props though, I mean, Vue has some interesting features that, that are not widely used in terms of validating uh, props. And, and enforcing custom types. So you can, so it, you, you, you can always define a very specific type if you're using TypeScript with, uh, with Options API at the moment. So you can, you can say type, say it's a, a string, but you want to restrict that to a couple of, of different strings. So you can say type colon capital string, you know, a string constructor. But then you could add a, a TypeScript uh, addition, so as, and then you could could give your your specific literal types that, that you want. So as you know, title, bar, subject, and then then for the rest of that that component, that property that wouldn't just be a string; it would be one of those two things. You know, that's at the TypeScript level. So purely at the at the moment, there's not a great way of enforcing that between components. So to enforce the, the prop being passed actually meets that type. All you're doing is, is really type hinting it for yourself in, in, within that component. I, I should say that there are plans to change that. But, um, but what you can do to enforce the, the API is you can pass a... I'm sure, I'm sure you know this, Lindsay. But you can, you can pass a, a validator function as part of that uh, prop definition. 
So not just passing the, the type and required or default or whatever, but you can pass the validator function that actually returns a true or false value as to whether it's a valid value, which is great if when particularly when combined with some kind of test for whether you're in production or not, so that you Webpack can can get rid of the code completely if you're in production. But while you're in development, you really want to see as many errors as possible. You really want your component to squawk at you if you uh, if you pass in the wrong kind of thing. And absolutely, object or array just isn't good enough most of the time. So you, you want maybe to, to test the... Uh, I want to make sure it's an array of objects with at least this and this property. And so you, you can do all of that in, in any kind of, of custom validator function that you, you want. That, I think that I think is really a useful function of, of current view. And, and I'm pretty sure that that's, that's how it's going to be done in view 3. Okay. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from The Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of The Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. And yeah, I, I am familiar with the validation and I, I definitely use that as the need arises. Just wondering if with, with this move into the composition API, if there was anything that you had heard of to move some of that into the just defining the, the props object going into setup or not. But it, I mean, what's there is great. So there's no reason to leave it or, or discontinue using it if you're satisfied with how it works. I mean, there, there's some really interesting projects like uh, Vola, for example, is um, in terms of dev tools of thinking about, uh, I want to get some kind of warning if I'm using a component and passing the wrong time type of value into that prop. So Volo is an interesting one at the moment. Um, and then there are leaps and bounds stuff happening in terms of, of uh, Vita. But I'm not aware of any way of, of enforcing that or making that happen within the, within, at the view layer. Okay. So you mentioned back at the beginning that you were working on composition API hooks for Nuxt specifically. Would you mind talking a little bit about your work there? Sure. So on one level, it doesn't require much, much work to use the, the composition API with Nuxt, just like with any other framework, because you, you just install it like any other view plugin. And, you know, import the composition API, import view, view, use composition API, and, and you're away. But there are some things that become a little bit more difficult when used with something like Nuxt. So Nuxt is a, it's a progressive framework, which means that it, it works 
from day one. So it should just work out of the box. And then as you need to, to customize things and then build things on top of it and, and add add functionality or define, define advanced configurations, you should be able to do that too. And, and obviously, one of the key things NAS is known for is the fact that it supports server-side uh, rendering, which, which is a real challenge for the Composition API. And it's, it's really interesting um, wrestling with Vue 3 a bit and trying to, to figure out how can, we, how can we take advantage of some of the functionality that Vue 3 offers when working with hydrating a, an, uh, a server rendered HTML. So, uh, so for example, if you, are, if, if you, if you have a, a component with data, you can, you, can, you can do something to that data and then stringify it all up and pass it to the, uh, the client side maybe, and then, and then do something with it on the client side. So in, inject it back in to the component instance when that component instance mounts. And Nux is able to do some really interesting things along these lines. So there was recently a, a Nux is a full static mode where API calls that normally would happen on, on the client side or at the moment of being uh, server rendered can all happen beforehand at a generate phase. And then all of that data is, is bundled into payloads, which are all that needs to be fetched on the, on the client side. So as you navigate from page to page, all that happens is you, you get the payload for the next page from the static hosting that the, the website's on, rather than make a fresh API call to that, that instance, which is obviously great for your, um, well, for your, your um, API costs, for example. And it's a really interesting way of... of um, working but that kind of, of functionality using having a static target for your application um, and and using the way Nuxt implements it is is uh, using a lifecycle called fetch which basically basically takes what it what it receives what everything that's every change that's made in that in that hook in that fetch hook gets tracked by the by Nuxt and wrapped up and put into this payload, or or passed to the um, the client side, and that's fine as long as you're talking about everything being on the component, right? So if you have your all of your the data you're interested in is, is just defined on the component, it's just part of the component instance. Well, it's fine. You just you just set that data to be whatever the server is telling you, right? So you can take the payload and and you just recursively go through and, and assign it to the, the component instance and everything works. But the moment you start working with something like the composition API, well, a lot of those values are hidden. They're not on the component instance. They're in setup. So something, something's happening. Maybe you only expose a computed property to, to your component. That real data lives somewhere else. And maybe you have a shared service. So we've talked a lot, of, a lot about extracting uh, features Maybe you have a file which, which uh, exports a, a reactive object that gets consumed by a number of different components. What happens if, if you want to, to perform some expensive API call or um, something else on the server side and, and, and you want all of that data to just be taken um, effortlessly to the client side? I've taken a long time to explain that, but it's a problem. It doesn't work out of the box. So um, one of the first things we did with the Nuxt Composition API was build in the ability for the server 
to identify each ref based on where it is in the code. So we uh, we actually we produce something called an SSR ref. So if a, if a ref is, is like a reactive value in the composition API, an SSR ref is is the same. But if that value is if it's if it's evaluated on the server side, it won't be reevaluated on the client side. Instead, it will be passed in Synapse passes uh, everything from the server to the client in a window dot object, which gets put in a script tag in the HTML and gets so, so this window object is instantiated and gets the value of all these things. And then the components can reference them when they mount or whatever's happening to them. And so we can we can do the same with all the refs that we're talking about in a Nuxt application. We can actually calculate them on the server side, stick them in this, this object, it gets instantiated on the client side. And then rather than recalculate all of those refs and all of that computed, uh, all the computed properties we have on the client side, we simply reach into that global window object and pull out the pre-calculated data set that the server has passed us. So the the SSR ref, I, I'm, I'm looking at your notes here as well, is it's just a drop-in replacement for ref. And obviously there's, like you described, there's a lot going on to, to make this functionality work with setup. But the end result is you can use the the ref hook without any any fear while it's being server-side rendered. Is that is that right? Exactly. So um, one kind of use case. So so normally with with Nux, you write, you strive to write isomorphic code. So code that can be run on server side or client side, and and it will it will work in both in both cases. So when you're referring, so often this this if you can't just refer to the window object, for example, because that doesn't exist on the server side, um, and you can't use Node APIs in your code without testing to see where you are, because that can't be run on the client side. So, so you're, you're trying to, to, to write code that gets run in both places. But I think, but often, uh, particularly, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've found the same, when I'm trying to, to get the, the best performance out of the code I'm writing, I want to reduce rerunning functions where I can and re, and for that matter, rehydrating bits of code I don't need to rehydrate, you know, if, if I can server-side render a vast chunk of HTML, just say an article, um, it's not reactive. It doesn't need to, it's never going to change. It's, it's, you know, it's one-off. And I don't want, I don't want that to happen again. I, I don't want, want the, on the client side, all of that data to be retransmitted. And so I guess SSRF makes it possible for that, for that to happen uh, with a composition API. So you can, you can do it just once. You can only compute it on the server side and then pull it in on the client side. That seems extremely useful, especially since that's that's one of the main benefits of SSR is having all of that data pre-fetched, pre-rendered, essentially, so that when the application comes down to the client, it's all there, and you don't need to make additional API calls as well as extra compute time, like you're saying. Exactly. Is there- and I mean, and, and a lot Sorry, of the, the key things that we've had to build into the, the Next Composition API integration, that there are a lot of things that Nuxt does out of the box, but... Nuxt, so, so for example, Nuxt has the concept of, I mean, it, it is a lot, a lot about data. Nuxt has the concept of async data that's before you, you uh, navigate to a new route, a, an API call can be made or, or something, something might happen to populate the data of that page. Obviously, there's the fetch hook that I've talked about, but a lot of the stuff 
a lot, a lot of that added value for Nux. The way that it works is that these are non-standard lifecycle hooks. They're not really lifecycle hooks at all. They instead they get called by Nux itself, which uh, looks at a component instance and sees does it have this extra this extra property or, or method. So, for example, if you have an async data method on your um, component instance, then Nux will call it and then take whatever comes back from that and then merge that into your, your data. So assign it to your, your component instance. Well, that is, it works really well. Only it doesn't work with the composition API because you get no... I mean, it would, it would happen. I mean, the, the, that data would be assigned to your component instance, but you wouldn't be able to access it in setup and you wouldn't be able to have any kind of type hinted uh, awareness of what kind of data was being returned from that, that method. So there was, there was a real need to, to make all of that accessible and consumable by the composition API. So uh, to be honest, there were workarounds. So there were things you could do in a given component that were very tied to that particular component. But with the composition API, you want to be able to make something that's usable. You want to be able to extract functionality and not care about which component that functionality is going to be run in or where those features are going to be used. You need to just get access to the, the context if and when you need it. And so, and so that, that's something that the integration basically allows. All right. Question I was going to ask is, there's the, the ref hook, drop-in replacement with SSR ref. Is there any need with server-side rendering for the other types of hooks, like reactive, for example? Not sure if computed would do as much, but would, would something like reactive need to be have a special version for server-side rendering? So the integration of Docs makes all the normal composition API uh, methods available. So the re reactive, we've not produced any kind of special or unique version of. And SSR ref, you wouldn't always use it. Uh, you'd use it if you want to only want to run something once. Because there, there's... So I, I, for example, would use it with something like... If you have a server-side app and, and you, you may be passing the user agent string of the request and maybe you're making some decisions about what you serve up based on the capabilities of the web browser that's asking for them and if you are if you're making that kind of um, calculation you don't want to make it again on the client side so that's a great case for an SSRF you you only want to do it once um, you want whatever the decision is on the server to be the same thing that the client receives or you're going to get a, a hydration error where for a moment, as the client is rethinking, uh, reevaluating, maybe they even have a, a slightly different user agent string because it's not being run in a, the context of a request. It's being run in the context of a browser. Um, and so, so you get a mismatch of the, the, the virtual DOM and the, um, the, the HTML served. Um, so an SSR ref works well. It probably would work well in the case of, of authentication. So if you have a user object that your server, your server fetches, and maybe um, I wouldn't recommend encoding an entire user and, and serving that up, but maybe you want to, to take the uh, sort of the, the features of the app that users allowed to access. And so you encode those into an SSR ref, uh, which maybe holds an object with some, some key 
flats and properties and and then that means that when this on the client side it, it your your app renders you don't have to then re-request the user from your api backend or from your authentication service uh, and then recalculate what that user is allowed to access you've already done it once um, and so that kind of thing can hugely hugely increase the, the responsiveness of, of of your app and and to be honest actually even in your normal Mux app would be a difficult thing to do you would you would have to put in some boilerplate and there are ways of doing that you can access Nux state and before Nux render in, in a plugin but i think it's actually easier with the composition api in this case okay yeah, I'm going to have to dig into this and see how I can use it in uh, my next applications. I was, I have, I have one application that does a little bit of uh, server-side work with async data. See if I can make it work in there. So, awesome. well, you know where to find me if there's anything I can do to... Oh, yeah. I, I will let you know. One final point to talk about with the composition API. There's, I, I've been hearing this on other podcasts, and I know it from my own personal experience as well. Uh, talking about Vuex and how it's not particularly friendly for type checking or integration with components because either you're you're referencing it through this dot store dot dispatch whatever or you're using map getters map actions either way it feels more like a mix in than something that's built into your component because it, it kind of is 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 there some way that you can implement either Vuex itself or at least a global state management using just the composition API that's that's maybe a little more type friendly and more usable with composition API stuff? So I, I, I would I'd certainly say there is. So not not to say that you shouldn't use Vuex. I mean there would be, be use cases for that. But it is simpler and I think easier to reason about if you are interacting with the composition API. So imagine instead of a separate uh, store, you have a, a module, so just a file, a JavaScript file in your project, and you have some state. So you're going to track that with a ref, maybe, or, or reactive as, as you like. Uh, and it's going to maybe have a couple of different things you're tracking, so maybe a user object and maybe the user's blog posts, and that, that's your state. And then you might have some, some um, getters, so you could implement that with computed. So I'm going to, uh, maybe I, my getters is number of blog posts, and so I, I just create a computed that, that returns the, the length of the blog posts. And I might have a computed as well that's something like, you know, is logged in or something and just returns whether or not there's a user object that's more than null. And uh, maybe I might want some some uh, actions that are going to change that. I could just create normal functions that mutate, change the, the reactive object. Um, and then I can just impl- import those, all those, those things into any other file, any other component or anywhere else in my application that wants to interact with that. And so rather than trying to find this.store and I'm going to dispatch something and what was the namespace of the module, actually, I just have a method that I call that I've imported. So I think for, for a lot of people and at a lot of levels, it's much easier just to interact with, with, with uh, the composition API because 
I mean, the way UX works is that it's, it's effectively, it takes the normal view component reactivity and it gives it different names. So instead of computed, it's a getter. Instead of data, it's state. Instead of, you know, but those are the same thing. It's the same under the hood. So, um, so you, you don't need to do that. You can just do it with composition API methods and the same power of, of view reactivity is, is, is there for you. And it's much, much simpler to, to get started. As far as carrying the state between different components, would you still rely on Vuex and just wrap it with composition API methods? Or would you use something like providers to, to inject the data into your components at different levels? Well, this is, I guess there are probably different points of view on this. So you can, you can just import the same module. So you can just access the data directly. Right. I guess what you would normally, there would be a couple of reasons you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that without the composition API. So one, there might be an issue of, of reactivity. I guess that's, that's the main, main reason. Although, you know, the way the composition API works under the hood is that it just use, uses view.observable. So you, you can implement a standalone reactivity without the composition API in view too. But, but I guess the, the key, key issue of reactivity is, is, is gone. So you, you can import the same state into multiple components and the same actions that, that are just functions that are going to change that state. And you wouldn't need Vuex for that. I guess if you want, I mean, there are lots of integrations for, for Vuex, which I guess is probably the main reason you would want, want to use Vuex in this, this new world. So um, and there are other solutions too, like Pinia is, is or it's a really interesting composition API-based drop-in replacement for Vuex uh, that even works with DevTools, the Vue DevTools. What's that called again? Pinia. I'll drop a link in the, in the show notes. It's spelled P-I-N-A, right? P-I-N-I-A. Um, it's, I-A. Okay. Uh, Eduardo, I think, is, is that. I'll, I'll admit uh, my, my Portuguese was driving me on how to spell it, and I kept putting an H after the N. Yes, well, I think I think I think Eduardo was uh, was a bit frustrated that uh, it was in, impossible to, to to spell it properly in in npm. <laughs> so because mm, it doesn't take the enye character, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. So oh, okay. uh, So as a result, we get ia at the end. But um, so it's supposed to be pina is what we what he was going for. Absolutely yes. That's that's definitely worth definitely worth a look, and and he always produces interesting interesting things. But I mean, I note that like so many things, including the Next integration, you know, we're playing with the composition API, but it's it's all, you know, it's the lots of lots of warnings. Doesn't mean that it isn't being used in production, but wouldn't want anyone to rely too much on it. We'll definitely have to check that out. All right. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Awesome. At this point, we will move on to picks. For those who aren't aware, picks are the part of our show where we talk about things that we want to share with you. doesn't have to be tech-related exactly. Steve, would you like to go first? Sure. So my pick today is more of a person to follow. This guy I've been listening to and following a lot recently, probably over the past couple of months. His name's Alex Berenson. He's a former reporter for the New York Times. He was there for about 10 years. 
And then he left to uh, write spy novels. Uh, he wrote a couple of novels, three or four. I'm not sure how many. Everyone I've heard they're pretty good. A buddy of mine read them, said he really liked them. And then his wife is a, I want to say some sort of counselor, psychologist, something like that. And based on some information she was given him, he wrote a book about the effects of marijuana. It's called Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. And it was like a New York Times number one bestseller and really well known. And then starting March, April, he started following and doing some analysis and just about the whole COVID situation, lockdowns, and so on. And he's got two sort of small books, I guess they're called pamphlets, uh, that were available on Amazon. And they were, again, number one bestsellers, I think on Amazon. I'm not sure about the New York Times list called Unreported Truths About COVID-19 and Lockdowns. And then he has a second one, part two. So anyway, I, I really liked him. He, to me, he seems to, to do a real good job of just looking at the stats, looking at the data and analyzing them without the politics that surround him. And he's certainly not somebody you could label as a arch conservative or anything like that. I think he just does a pretty good job of playing it down the middle. Thanks. Will you be able to get links into the, the notes for that? I will put the links in right now. Thank you. Daniel, do you have a pick for us? So um, one, one tech-related pick, and I've, I've been telling everybody, telling, telling everybody about it. It's a pretty, pretty, cool, pretty cool thing. And, and one, one, one thing that I've been watching recently. So what I've been watching is a TV show called uh, BNA. It's anime, which is uh, it's, it's on Netflix. The story is, is a, a girl who is... I don't know, the world involves a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a world where there are people called beast men. So they, they are animal, human, uh, people, and they're, they're, they're different and they're, they're, they have a, they're persecuted by, uh, by humans. And, uh, and this, this girl turns into a beast man. She, one day she, she finds out that she is, she is a beast man and she, she uh, finds a place where she is. Is welcomed. It's it's a really interesting, really heartwarming but interesting show that that I think explores some of the the issues that of you know how we value people and and how we define ourselves as individuals. I think it's a fun show. Uh, what was the name of it again? It's called DNA. Uh, awesome. Thank you. So my pick today is not exactly sure how to define it. It's this dot media. This dot dot co dot is a word in this case make sure the link is in the show notes it's a little confusing to read out loud but the nice thing about it is they have online meetups for various things including react view and graphql as well as some articles and videos that they put out so definitely recommend checking them out there were a couple former guests that were on the view meetup which i think was last week as of the time of recording i think it was debbie and maya we're both hosting the view meetup and talking about next as well, because next is awesome. So definitely recommend checking them out for their various online meetups, especially during this time that we can't all go out and hang out together in person. Awesome. Daniel, how can people reach out to you if they want to follow up and talk more about uh, what we've been discussing today? Well, um, I, I can be found on, on Twitter. Nox also is a really active discord server. So if you've got any questions, feel free to give me a, question there i'll probably see it uh, or drop me a dm i um yeah love to help help you if, if there's any, any way i can do that so get in touch great thank you 
And if you want to reach out to us at the podcast, you can find us at Views on View or viewsatview.com, devchat.tv. You can also reach out to me directly on Twitter at Yagabush, or you can find Steve at Wonder95. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you again next week. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.